Episode 61 of the Terminal City FC podcast. Josh Ray joined alongside Nathan Durick. And Nathan, was that one of the best soccer games you ever saw on Sunday? You know what? Coming into that game as a neutral, absolutely one of the best soccer games I ever saw. 100%. The World Cup final. We said it would be an ent- a tight, intense match and had the makings of a classic. It did not disappoint one bit though Argentina dominated for 80 minutes it looked like France couldn't even get the ball couldn't even make a pass right all their star players were missing and Argentina were just controlling the game until Kylian Mbappe put France on his shoulders yeah I think if you take a look at that game France had zero shots on target in the first 45 minutes. They were actually registering an XG of zero, which is unheard of. And especially unheard of when you're a team that's as massively built as France. And they did not have a single shot, like not just shots on net, just shot attempt until like the 65th minute or something. Wow. I thought they had one in the first half, but I could be wrong. I don't think it counted. There you go. Yeah, it must have been a deflection. I don't know. But Mbappe put this put France on his shoulders where they... I mean, let's first let's talk about the referee. You could say, oh, the World Cup was rigged. It was all, they wanted Messi to win it. I thought the referee, despite him being bald in the final, was pretty fair. I thought this referee was excellent. You know what? That is a tough... That is a tough stage to go on, especially when you know that everyone in the audience is going to be against you, right? Not not right. because of you, but simply because of what you represent. I thought he was fair. I thought he did a very good job for the high-pressure stakes that existed in that game. Yeah, there's a few things here and there that I can argue, but overall, phenomenal job. Yeah, and despite Argentina's constant diving and complaining, he took – he was – Referring like, oh, this is my game. We're refereeing it my way. He actually gave a card out for simulation as well to Argentina. Yeah, which... Uh, I can't remember which, who, who got it, but the, he, he did a simulation. He was saying, oh, I should get a penalty. I should get a penalty. And he gave a simulation. And then when you take a look at the replay, a, a phenomenal call. Like the, the, the way that the fact that he was able to see that, not only to recognize, no, you're diving, but that this is so far beyond that this is deserving of a yellow. Phenomenal. Yeah, France apparently dived over a penalty in extra time, and he gave that player a yellow, too. Yeah, there you go. So he was fair for both sides. And the first um, Dembele's tackle on the Argentinian player, I forgot who it was, but it was a penalty to me. He clipped him. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Uh, he, he caught the back heel. There was absolutely nothing in the ball. I, I agree. It's a, that first one was a penalty. Yeah, and both of the Francis penalties and Bappe scored, those were penalties as well. Clear as day. Yep. So, good refereeing, which is something we rarely say. 
and this game was just crazy. Like, it looked like it would be an Argentina dominating win, which would have been very disappointing. Mbappe scores two in, like, over a minute, which was the penalty and the ball. Seven seconds. Yeah, so about a minute and a half, over a minute and a half, less than two minutes. Yeah. I mean, guy's only 23. Well, he's 24, turned 24 yesterday, but he scored a hat-trick in the World Cup final. Yeah, although it is interesting, there is a newspaper in France that is stating that the third Argentinian goal should not have counted. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So well, I believe it's uh, L'Equipe in, in France, and then it's also been yep. picked up by a lot of other newspapers in France. They're saying that because two substitutes entered the pitch before Messi's shot crossed the line, that is not mm. a goal. And what they're quoting is Law 3, Paragraph 9 of the Laws of Football that say explicitly if a player enters the, the field of play that's not supposed to be on the pitch, the goal must be disallowed. Right. I didn't even... So, but my, here's my thing is, is by the letter of the law, they're correct. Yes. But does this follow the spirit of the law? Were those players involved in the buildup? Were those players involved in the goal? Or were they just standing on, just standing around? They took a step inside, and yes, so I get it. By the letter of the law, shouldn't have counted, yeah. but they were not involved in it. And I am normally a stickler for the laws, for any laws when it comes to to sport, because I mean they're there for an element of fairness. I'm usually right. a stickler when it comes to those. That's why I I think VAR is a good idea if we can just get humans behind it to actually use it properly. This is yeah. one of those cases where I'm going to say, you know what? I think the spirit of the law should overrule the letter. Yeah, and I don't, even, I don't think many people even noticed that these subs were a step off the sideline. Yeah, this is it's basically it's just a story in France, but it's picked up steam in obviously in France because it's France. But yeah, there was nothing on the on the play. No one saw anything happening. I mean, it would be tough for anyone to see happening because. You're watching a goal on one side. You've got something else happening 50 yards away. But, yeah, I thought it, it's interesting, especially with you think of how many cam- – pardon me – how many cameras are in stadiums right now, how you got these overhead cameras on cables running, and no one picked this up at the moment. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But I think that the outcome that happened did – it was was proper. Yeah, Totally. And that goal, it looked offside at first, but Martinez did a good job of staying onside. Yep. And the ball clearly crossed the line. It was it way over the line before it cleared. No, I don't think that there was any argument of it crossing the line. It crossed the line by a good, it was over a foot, like a foot and a half, two feet. The, the only contention was whether it was offside, and it wasn't. Yeah, and that was good use of the technology. Yeah, Absolutely. That's what, why, why we have the technology. That's why we I use it. I still think we need to take a look at offside and figure out where are we measuring from. Measuring from someone's hand or nose or, you know, piece of hair, uh, that, to me, that's almost too much. you got to take a look at what can actually put a ball in a net. Yeah, may, maybe pick a part of the body, like someone's shoulder or foot. Not like, yeah. you can't be offside just by a fingernail. Yeah, that's, I mean... I get it. The way the rule's written right now, that's the rule. And, you know, refs are, you know, 
they're not the ones who set the rules. This is like, you know, walking into a retail store and complaining to the cashier about the price. But yeah, in, in the end of the day, I think those who make the rules, that I think it's what with IFAP, they should take a look at this. Yeah, totally. And offsite has always been a debate and will be for a long while. And that extra time, it was a goalie battle between Hugo Lloris and Emmy Martinez. And he made that just one one of the greatest saves of all time near the end of extra time. Right at the last gasp. I mean... Yeah, it looked like France was going to win it there. Yeah. You, you take a look at that save, and I'm like, that's the save that got you the golden glove. <laughs> yeah, no wonder, right? And you know, so, the one thing I thought that was really interesting is come time to watch the penalties. You take a look at whether the ball went in the net or not. Martinez, more often than not, I think only once he didn't, but he went the right direction every time. Lloris. He did. Lloris was never, like, apparently penalties is like not Lloris's thing. No, he's not. not that good at penalties. He's not good at all. And Unless it's Harry Kane. Yeah, unless it's Harry Kane, is his Tottenham teammate. Penalties are not Hugo Lloris's thing. Yeah, uh, you know, well, I mean, that's why when you were watching the game, Argentina was playing to the very final whistle because they wanted to finish this in regular time. Argentina, yeah. I think, was prepared for penalties. I think Argentina had overcome a big hurdle in the in the in the fact that hey, we just let this team back into the game, like. You know, France can't just win a World Cup by playing 10 minutes and then getting into extra time. But, yeah, Argentina had to overcome a bit of a crisis of faith that France didn't have to worry about. They were just on the, you know, on the upswing. Yeah, France were just doing nothing for 80 minutes, and then Mbappe just told, pretty much told everyone to wake up with two goals. Yeah. So, the penalty shootout, I mean, Argentina didn't miss any of their penalties. That was a really cheeky penalty from Messi. Yeah, but that penalty from you know it's bad if you get a penalty saved by the goalie or hit the post, but if you miss a target completely, you look like an idiot. You know it sucks. I mean, and you know what? I'm I, I get to say this because I'm watching it from you know my couch, but I don't know what I would be like if I was standing up there with how many tens of thousands in the stadium and how many let's billions let's actually Trump. be realistic billion watching billion. <laughs> so, yeah, and, I get the targets were there, but at least hit the target. Yeah, and unfortunately, we should mention that both uh, those two misses, the one by Tuchmani and Komen, they're now uh, being subject to abuse within their own country, uh, yeah. racial abuse, and it's the same thing that happened with uh, the Euros in England when you had the, the abuse against uh, uh, players yeah. like uh, Sacco and uh, I think uh, Rashford and and Sancho. Yeah, thank you. Um, so and again, yeah, it, it, didn't even like it just went wide left. Yeah, like, not even. And Coleman, there was a guy I can't remember. It was a former player who played for France, and he said, "When we win, we're French. When we lose, oh, we're not." Right. Fair. Right. And uh, or when we lose, we're Algerian. I think was the was his saying. But uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, it shows that. The, that racism and any of that sort of discrimination is still very, very prevalent within within the sport and at the biggest game in the entire world. Yep, that's right. And Montreal, Gonzalo Montreal scores the winning penalty, which will be remembered. 
for many, many, many generations. You should hear the Argentinian call if you haven't, by the way. Just uh, literal chills. And he's done it. Lionel Messi has finally, after years of heartbreak with Argentina, has his World Cup. Is the greatest of all time debate over? You already know what I think about this debate. I could care less. <laughs> but For me, it's over. You know what? If if someone, you know, gunned to my head, told me I had to make this decision, yeah, I'd say it's over. Yeah. I mean, I just my... About it, but, yeah, right now of this generation, greatest of all time, I don't know. I, I find it always really difficult to, to judge present eras versus past eras because the sports changed, right? Yeah. Like, you can't, I don't know, like, some, like Pele, for example. Yeah, his time exactly, was, right? Maradona's time was different. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how to, to do that. It's like doing this and, you know, it's like trying to compare, you know, like, in, in England and say, is Kane Shankly, right? Like, I, I don't know. I can't say that it's completely different sports. It's like, uh, I, you know, go back because you and I and our love of hockey, is there was a once when Gretzky was asked in an interview of what he thought about uh, Connor McDavid and, you know, whether or not that he'd be able, or whether or not the Oilers of the eighties would, uh, would beat, uh, you know, teams in, in this generation. He's like, no, we get our asses kicked. It's a different game. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And he's right. Yes. He is the greatest of all time, but you have to put that within context of the era that was played. And that's why the, the all time argument to me is, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, but again, I Messi about. is the greatest of his generation. Yeah, I think Messi is the greatest footballer to ever play this sport. Again, again, plain and, and simple. I think it's fair to say it's just not one that I think I could ever say of anything. Yeah, I mean, all the records he's broken, all the stuff he's won, like seven Ballon d'Or. But you take a look at any of the records that he has that he's uh, that you know Ronaldo has. You got to remember, Messi is about what, two and a half years younger. Yeah, I mean, age can be a factor here. No, what I'm saying is that he is catching up to those records that Ronaldo still has. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, Messi is just so gifted, so talented. And I think it's like, I think it's we'll, we'll never see a player that gifted ever again. I'm going to say never say never. Never say never, but a player with that skill set, um, I don't know, like... You never know, but he won the Golden Ball for the second time, which is the first. Martinez wins the Golden Glove. Mbappe with the Golden Boot. And Enzo Fernandez, the young player of the tournament, which shouldn't really be surprises. No, I think, uh, I mean, everything you just said there is what we expected. Right, though Livakovic of Croatia could have made a good case for the Golden Glove, too. He could have, if they had won the third place match. Or no, he, they did win the third place match. What they am I saying? Um, yeah, I think, did. yes, he could have if they had made the final. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, the one thing is, is those awards are given to either one of the two teams that make the final. Usually. I, I don't know. I can't think of any offhand. I know it has happened, but it's so yeah. rare that it happens where someone gets one of those awards and it's not the final. The only one that it could be usually is the golden uh, boot because it's for goals. And I think in the last one. Yeah. Last one was Harry Kane. It was Harry Kane, and they only... Yeah, the last one, it was, uh, it was Courtois, and they finished yeah, in Belgium. Was, yeah, they won it uh, by only getting to uh, the third uh, place match. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's happened, but it's rare. It it is. And but I will say this, it was the best final. Best easily match final ever. Easily, right? Right, and the and that went in that the, the the it was like it was it was the building of a perfect story because you have this slow rise and then at that eighty minute eighty minute everything explodes like it it, it it's it's literally a story arc. This is better than um, this is why sports is so great. Like it's it's unscripted drama. Uh, it absolutely like, is. Think, it's the best theater. The was scripted was then I don't know what to tell you. The, it's kind of funny just looking at all these rigged comments, and I'm thinking there's no way anyone would. This is like it's like people who don't believe in the moon landing, right? Do you know how many people would have to be involved to make that fraud work? A lot. Exactly. Okay. More people would have to be in the fraud instead of doing the thing in the first place. And would people be willing to sacrifice t- that much time and effort no. just for something to be fake? No. And would people be wasting entire would be putting so much effort and time into just handing Argentina a World Cup? Not only that, but uh, you would have to do it in in a, in a way that eventually it would become so blatant. There was nothing blatant about this. Yeah, I mean, Argen- right. remember Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. This team lost to Saudi Arabia, by the way. Remember that? Felt like feels like, and yeah, like this game. Um, easily the game of the year in any sport to me. Though the Bills Chiefs game from the NFL playoffs last year comes close, but this is just a whole. This was just crazy. Yeah, and then the the tough tough day for the like I don't mean to go gatekeep, but if there's anyone out there who doesn't like soccer, I'm sure there are many people who do. If you, you can like whatever sport you like, but it was a tough day for the people who say all oh, soccer is boring. Yeah, you know what? The soccer is boring thing to me is a very North American mentality because you're looking at, oh, you're allowed draws. Well, there's no winner. Then why do I care? And it, to me, it just makes me, it, the whole thing in my mind is just like, why are you just not watching the highlights of sports if all you care about is the goals? A zero-zero game can be phenomenal. If oh, it can be. I've seen it. Sport. But at the same time, zero-zero game could be an absolute snooze fest. It can be. But you can also have games where, you know, it's a 5 nothing blowout, and I'm turning it off the TV halfway because I was like, well, th- there's no point to this. Right, but a, a 3-3 game that went to penalties is phenomenal. I mean, right? phenomenal. Battle. It, yeah, this was a battle between, again, two heavyweights, the defending champs and a South American powerhouse. Yep. So for, I mean, in recency bias will say that this is the best soccer game I've ever seen, but I don't know about that. There are so many great ones in, like, Premier League, Champions League level, other international games. I will say the one that this did remind me, and again, it's because I'm a Spurs fan, is when they were making their Champions League run, and in the semifinal, um, uh, was Lucas... Who 2019? Yeah, he got oh, his, the Ajax game there. That was a great one. He got his hat trick at the very end of the game uh, over Ajax in order to make it into the final. The only reason why that one's not better for me is because while there was a, a lot of stakes in that game, the stakes were to get into the final of the Champions League, it wasn't the trophy. Right. right. Like, France, uh, like, never say die. I had to remind me of 2012 Chelsea. Yeah. 
I mean, there are brilliant moments, but yeah, I will. I I have to say, even the ones that I can think of, this one edges them out. Yeah, and this will be. I mean, we'll tell our like grandchildren, both of us, that oh, we we saw this game live on our TVs in early, super early in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Right. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was nuts. I I I, I had my family. Uh, here in in uh, at my home while while you know watching and, and working on the game and doing everything, and I, I think they were going back and forth between watching the TV and watching my reactions. Yeah, because you, no one like you couldn't believe what you were seeing. I couldn't believe what you were seeing. Peter Drury couldn't either. And bless it, honestly, his commentary just made the game a million times better. Yeah. Oh no, I I have no problem with the commentary. I I thought. Uh, I, I get why, especially in Canada, you know, we have our people for the Canadian games, but then they go elsewhere for everything else. I mean, it, it made sense. And I thought they did a, a great yeah, job. For, I thought they did a great job also for, for being neutrals, right? Yeah, Jury's great at being neutral. Yeah. Even when he's playing. And he, apparently someone on Hockey Twitter was like, oh, they kind of made fun of him. Like, oh, Argentina have slayed God. I'm like, wow, you've finally discovered the genius that is Peter Drury. Could you imagine him calling hockey? Oh, it would be amazing. It's like I, I love some of the sayings that uh, that happen in in uh, in soccer. And one of the best ones I ever saw was a goalkeeper that made a great save, and the Scottish broadcaster talking about the ball being saved by a mass of humanity. Yeah, Peter. One of Peter. One of my favorite soccer calls was by Peter Jury back in 2018. When Manolas scored against Barcelona, the Greek god of Rome, Roma have risen from their ruins. Yeah, I, I mean, the, they're they're storytellers, right? Good commentary right. is our commentary. Story. Yeah, and like what he he commentated like Merit Merit. There are now two gods. There's Maradona, and now there's Messi. Yeah, and then like man, he, the guy just a poet. And you know what? I can't. I can't uh, complain, or I, I. I can't say anything bad about people who don't like soccer. There are sports out there that I find mind-numbingly boring as well, and some of these are the biggest sports in the world. So, I get it. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. I'm not going to begrudge you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not your thing. It's. It's. I'm not good. You can like whatever you want, but this game was. I mean. Billions of people have watched this game. It's the world's biggest game for a reason, and we were treated to one of the best, and just amazing theater. So, yeah, just one of the greatest games ever. A lot of storylines in there. It looked like an Argentine dominance, but France never, never surrendered, and they fought till the end to the penalty shootout. So Argentina's parade in Buenos Aires got called off over fan injuries. Yeah. So, Argentina had to fly over the city with a helicopter because there were like four million people in the streets. Did you see the video of when they're with the bus and the fans that were jumping off the overpass to get into the bus? Jeez. Yeah, there was, uh, and I think one of the reasons why it stopped is because one of the fans that jumped into the bus only caught the very back of it and then fell right into the road. They had to carry yeah. it off the stretcher, and on the stretcher he was still singing. Wow, didn't know that part. Yeah. So I mean. A dedication. Yeah, a dedication, I guess so. But uh, you take a look at this at this parade, 
and I guess the stupidity. But then you take a look at the parade that happened with Morocco in Rabat for because they did a parade for their their team as well. Best Mix. best showing ever by an African team. And you know what? Every bit as many people, but they behaved. <laughs> and, and of course, in France there were riots in Paris and other parts of France. Oh, I didn't I mean, hear about that. I mean, it's even if France won, like they, even they did in 2018, there were riots. Yeah. France is France is uh, an interesting place. Well, Not what uh, you think? You know, what their fifth republic because uh, the first four got torched. Yeah, I mean they've all they've had a history of violence. You know, yeah, you know your history. So apparently, there's been a video circling around Messi's house, and the swarms of fans were there. Oh really? Yeah. Jeez. So he had trouble getting into his house. The one thing I did see is that Messi's uh, posting of him holding the World Cup on Instagram is now the most liked Instagram post in history. It, and it yeah. beat out an egg. an egg. I remember that post. Yeah. So And and then we got to tell you, Emmy Martinez holding a picture of like a baby with a Bobby's face on it. it it's kind of, I get that you won, but it's kind of odd clowning on a guy who scored three goals plus the penalty in the penalty shootout against you. Martinez is like every goalkeeper in any sport I've ever known. It's a completely different breed. If you're a goalkeeper, I, I, I instantly think that there's something maybe a little bit wrong with you. <laughs> like maybe you've taken a few, a few too many balls or pucks to the head. But yeah. And all and Martinez does is just, Martinez just, you know, makes that makes my case for that every bit stronger. Yeah, and then... Then what he did with the golden glove, he pretended it was his. Um, yeah, exactly, right. Part. Yeah. Ugh. I and all I'm thinking I, of, like, yep, that's a goalkeeper. Yeah, and uh, he, he he's known for doing these weird dances too. So. Oh yeah, the the shoulder dance uh, after he was making saves. Um, yeah. He's a goalkeeper. I, mean, I don't know what else to say. He's a goalkeeper. I've met some really weird guys in sport, and they're all goalkeepers. <laughs> that explains everything from, you know, hitting the puck or ball to certain parts of your body. It really does something. Like I said, I played hockey for, for what, 13, 14-odd years to a, to a certain level before I realized that, you know what, I, I may have the height, but I didn't have the weights to, to get behind it. And I had no problem standing in front of a puck as a defenseman. But as a goalkeeper, I don't know what is that, but being that last line of defense, something else switches in your mind. And the fact that a goalkeeper is willing to do that, I'm happy that there's people that can do that in sport because you need them. But I also understand why they're very few and far between. Yep, to totally. I, I can't do it either. So not only was the best World Cup final ever, but it, I think this is the best World Cup ever, like in yeah. terms of quality yeah. of play. Yeah, if you're evaluating on the pitch, best World Cup. Yeah, if you World evaluate Cup. it on context, okay. there's still lots of problems with this. Lots World of issues. Like we, we all know the issues during and before the tournament, but in terms of on-field play and the quality of play, best World Cup easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we can't ignore the all the off-pitch issues. No. One thing so we I got wanted to, to mention is uh, just because we're, we're wrapping up here on the World Cup is we can talk about and we've talked about, uh, you know, some of the other stories that have happened in the World Cup, uh, especially when it came to uh, American uh, soccer journalist Grant Wall. There is yep. a group that has come out. Uh, I think it's two women that put out 
uh, a memorial soccer jersey for Grant Wall. Uh, I've got a post of it up on my on my Twitter. If you get a chance, check out this jersey. It's one of the most stunning jerseys I've ever seen. And they're actually any any proceeds that they make of this is actually going to a specific charity that Grant Wall uh, was very very big on uh, the IWMF. Check it out. This jersey is phenomenal. I actually hope someone actually picks this up and uses it because it's it's a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, it, it really is. And Grant Wall would have loved to write about that World Cup final. He would have, would have. made an excellent story. Oh, yeah, he would have made that. Well, I mean, what he was – we talked about commentators. I mean, what they did with, uh, with oratory, he does with words. Yep. That's what journalism does. It tells stories. Especially in the game of soccer. So, wrapping up the World Cup, it's back to, to the club football level. And yeah, the Vancouver Whitecaps, some news. Their schedule for 2023 has been released. I wrote an article breaking it down. It all kicks off February 25th at home against Rail Salt Lake. I'd say, you know what, Vancouver's been pretty lucky in that their first games are have been, in the past while, have been uh, at home. Yeah, and they're starting the season. I believe six out of their ten games are at home, and they're stretched down from September, October. Most of the games are at home as well. Yeah. The one thing that does suck a bit, and I think this has to do a lot with their brand-new TV deal, is the fact that out of all the home games except for two, they all are 7.30 starts. I know. It really sucked for out-of-towners, for people like you yourself. you got a young, young child. I would and- love to take my kid to a game. But it's 7.30, she's in bed. Yeah, and I, I get it's the league's decision all the, and all that, and I don't know why they had to make it at 7.30. What's wrong with just 7 p.m.? And apparently this is not that's just the Whitecaps thing. This is um, it's pretty much it's league-wide. All the games on like the West Coast, Pacific time zone, most of them actually are at 7.30. And you know what? I've, I've heard, I've heard uh, comments from teams on the East Coast as well. They're saying the same thing. Because their 7.30 means that the West it's, ones follow right after. But what it also means is that games on the West Coast are not likely to be watched by teams on the East Coast. Yeah, especially if you're... You can watch a game that has a start at like 10.30. Especially if you're an MLS insider or a journalist who covers the whole league. Exactly, right? Yeah, and I was hoping for a lot of 4 p.m. starts because the BC Lions have done that. There are a lot of four people. Great. I also think you get a different kind of fan out to those games, and it's nice to mix it up. Yeah, but again, not the Caps decision, because if it was, I don't think we'd see this many 7.30 starts. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, last year we only had, what, two 7.30 starts at home? Something like that. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. And, I mean, just transiting that late up before, I'll probably be home like almost midnight, you know, after media. Yeah, that's about it. So, so look at some of the uh, the notable games. Yeah, let's do that. Said, home opener February twenty fifth against Real Salt Lake. Yep, that's a good. One uh, Champions League. Champions League. March eighth, Real Espana first leg of BC Place. Second leg March fifteenth. Yep. Uh, the first Canadian matchup will be against uh, CF Montreal on April first. April Fool's Day, yep. And then right after that is Portland comes to town. Yeah, for the first Cascadia match. And I think we're actually facing Portland three times this year. Same with Seattle. So two of them will be in Providence Park. And yeah. I guess we'll face Seattle three times. First one oh. being on May 20th. 
the first time that we're going to face the brand new expansion side, St. Louis, uh, where we get to see Jake Norwinski come back. And I believe Tim Parker is there now as well. It'll be on yeah. May 27th. Yeah, it's at 530 our time. Yep. Uh, we will all, White Cats will also welcome the, we'll play the defending champs on the 24th at, in LA at Bank California Stadium, and they will be here for decision day. Yep. But guess who, yet again, the White Caps will not be facing? Inter Miami. And that's the place Messi is rumored to go to if should he decide to leave PSG. And let's just be honest, he's not going. <laughs> you, you never know, though. And you know what the. White Cats will be visiting for the first time Yankee Stadium to face New York City FC on September 2nd, and they will play on the terrible pitch. Yeah. That's then BC Places Turf. Yeah, it's. It, I will say it's probably worse than BC Places Turf because it's not. It's a way worse. Luckily, New York City FC is getting a new stadium, but that won't happen until 2027. Yeah, that's going to be a ways off. I mean, that's a long time coming, too. Like, that should have been done years ago. Yeah, and. Wayne Rooney and DC United come to town on September 30th. Yeah. Julian Gressel will place his former team. Yeah. And speaking of Gressel's former team, the Whitecaps are not going to Atlanta this year, and I don't think they've ever been to Atlanta this year. No, there's – you take a look at the way the, the conference breakup is and the way the games are set up. It is really, really strange that you can play an entire season and not face certain teams. Or face certain teams and it's only like once. Where other teams you're facing multiple times. I know that happens where you face more regional rivals more. But you should be facing everyone else at least once. Yeah. I, if you want to be a good league, you got to face... Every team should face each other once. Once. At least once. At least once. Like the Whitecaps don't have to play Miami twice. Just once is fine. Yeah. But the fact that you don't even do that is... It's strange in my mind. Yeah, it is. And... Well, there are seven Wednesday games for the Whitecaps in MLS. Four of those will be on the road. Three will be at BC Place. Last season, Vancouver played four Wednesday games, though three were at home, though it felt like way more. It did, actually. And I think a lot of that is it felt like way more because it was also right during the Canadian Championship. So you had all these Wednesday games, not only in MLS, but in the Cup as well. And we should talk about when it comes to, uh, to the Whitecaps, this schedule is not set fully yet because what yeah. it doesn't include is our Canadian okay. championships. Canadian championship. We we did talk about the Champions League, but we didn't talk about the brand new League's Cup that's also going to be coming in as well. Yeah. So the league will take a break from July 15th to uh and they'll resume on August 20th for this tournament to happen. So if you don't know, it's a tournament that will feature all MLS and all Mexican Liga MX teams. Crown who is the best in North America, and to me, this feels like an Apple marketing ploy. It is, it is, but I should also note that this is another pathway to the CONCACAF Champions League, and spots will be given to the finalists and the winner of the third place game. Exactly. So, I mean, there is something to play for. Uh, it does give Canadian teams more than just one pathway if you're in the MLS now. So, yeah, all right. So the White Caps, the expectation is to go as far as possible. In this Absolutely, thing. I would say right now the league, the league's cup is not a priority. Obviously, the league getting into the playoffs, going deep in the playoffs should be a priority. Repeating and the Canadian Champions repeating League, repeating the Champ, and going as far as possible in Champions League. Champions League is sixteen teams. You should be getting far. And starting with a team like Espan- Espana, yeah. that's that's 
That's a, doable, that's a doable pairing, right? Yeah, this team has lost to lesser competition in the past before. Yeah, so. they're a good team, right? They're, I want to say, from Honduras. Yeah, they're like yeah. the best in Honduras. Yeah, they're a good team. But I think this is one that the Whitecaps should be targeting. Yeah, Especially and... that early in their season. That's right. And those are must-win games, no yeah. matter how you look at it. So for the Whitecaps, they've only won two road games last year, remember. And I believe mid-season they're going to play a lot of road games. And you can't make the playoffs if you can't win games on the road. Well, that was their big problem last year, is they could not win a road game. It just yeah, they they just couldn't. I think they ended up winning what maybe two. Two. Yeah, that was against Kansas City and Dallas. Yeah. So uh, you you need to pick up points on the road. You need you need to find ways. You need to find ways to battle it out. And the thing is, is the Whitecaps have a decent roster. They need they there are there is areas where they need absolute help, and we all know where they are. We've talked about it before, and we're going to get into that a little bit when we talk about the super draft, but they have time to get it done and they need to start getting it done pretty quick because with our first game on February 25th, preseason starts that first, second week of January. We're not that far off. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plans already in place. Yep. And I'm sure they have made a list of targets and they're trying to get it done, but the window's not open yet. Window's not open yet, but uh, my I would be very, very surprised if some of these conversations haven't already started happening. I'm sure they have, yeah. and they've put out a big, a long list of players they want. And again, it'll be interesting to see. I'm very, very intrigued to see who the new striker will be, and hopefully, it's a DP. It would have to be. Like I said, the only other area where you might use a DP, based on what they need right now, is a goalkeeper. But I yeah, can get a I quality would. goalkeeper without DP wages. Yeah, all you need is just a guy who's proven starter, even if he's like thirty. Well, not only that, but you can pay a goalkeeper a decent amount of money and then pay it down. Yeah. Right? Right. A striker, you need a guy that's going to give you, if you can get, I mean, and, and I know this is wishful thinking, but if you can get a guy who's getting at least a goal every two games, it'd be phenomenal. Yeah. At that point, you're talking 15, 20 goals. Yeah, that's right. And just taking a look at the schedule here, the Whitecaps will play also play another Canadian team, Toronto FC. On September 16th, but that'll be a BMO field. It's amazing yeah. that you have to wait that long. I mean, at that point, we'll probably have conceivably played Toronto already in the Canadian Championship before then, but it's that is a long time. Yeah, and Whitecaps will also make their first trip to Soldier Field in Chicago. Because Chicago Fire play there now. Right. Right. And, I mean, at least Chicago has a better stadium, because before they were playing in the Burbs where there was no train going there. Yeah, that happens a lot. It's kind of funny because we hear that argument right now in uh, in Vancouver with uh, the brand new CPL team about how far away you have to travel for all these things. And I was like, hey, talk to the people that own the Ottawa Senators or the, talk to the people that own, yeah. you know, Carolina, right? Like, it was a Carolina. I think their stadium is like 70 miles out of city. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's correct. And I mean, that just happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it just happens. And Cincinnati will making their, be their... They'll make their first trip to Vancouver on the 10th of June as well. It should be, but let's see how Cincinnati tries to improve their team in the offseason. Cincinnati was one of those games last season where it wasn't a away game, but the Whitecaps played well in Cincinnati. A hard point draw. Right? Yeah. 
Like it was, so, that was one of those games where it, it did feel like a bit of a turning point and it did go for a little while. I mean, obviously it was a very much a season of ups and downs, but that Cincinnati game was a good draw. It was. And again, we can't stress about how the White Jets need to get off on a, deep, on a good start. They need it all. Well, compared to our start from last year, that start was abysmal. I mean, let's We're be honest. The, the first eight games, we got Painful. the Whitecaps got lucky in the fact that Seattle made the Champions League final. So they had that one game canceled. And then they had about 13, 14 days to just regroup, reset, get a bunch of guys healthy, and then just figure out who do we want to be. And then after that, they were off to the races. Yeah, I mean, ignoring that start, remember, the White guys were like the second-best team in the West. Yeah. So, if you do not count that first eight games, they were the second-best team in the conference, which is pretty amazing when you think that they had a horrible away record. Yeah, I know. It, it, that is just wild. But, again, better away record, better start. I mean, if those things don't happen, Vanny Sartini may be out of a job come, like, May. He could be. He could be. But I think that's why when you look at what the Whitecaps did last year, once you get rid of, at this point, I almost want to call it an outlier just because those first eight games ended up being their preseason because they basically had no preseason. This year they will. He did a hell of a job. This year they're they're much better. They're part of the uh, the Invitational that's down in California. I think there's about five MLS teams in that. Last time or last year, they didn't play a single MLS team in preseason, I don't think. I was playing USL. This year, they're playing all MLS teams. Yeah, I think there's there might be a few USL teams. Might be like one or two in that in that Invitational, but yeah, not near as many. Yeah, and it's good to. I mean, Axel Schuster talking about oh, how can we get prepared better for away games and for the season so we can start on time. Like not only they're like like season start, like they started games so poorly. Yeah. Well, that was one thing that the Whitecaps, it, it seemed like that was their a bit of their MO, is they would always fight well from positions of adversity, which means that once they went down, they woke up. They needed something to shake them awake. And you need teams that, st- that if that needs to happen, it happens at the whistle. That's right. So that's the schedule for the Whitecaps. We'll see how they try to improve their team, especially with all that money moved out a few weeks ago. I mean, this is a huge opportunity to become a good, to start the path to MLS Cup contention because um, they don't do deliver, then they'll probably never be good. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's talk about the Super Draft. I mean, I'm not too big on it. You are, but Whitecaps have two first-round picks. And that's what's the interesting thing is the Whitecaps pick at 13th, and they also yep. pick at the very, very last pick at 29th. So because the one that thing that's really interesting is that with that 13th pick is the Whitecaps have a very, very good chance of getting a Generation Adidas player. Generation Adidas, basically, US, the U.S. Soccer Federation has their development center, their development camp, and there are certain players that come out of that graduating class that are given this label of being part of the Generation Adidas class. To give you an idea, uh, Ryan Raposo was a Generation Adidas player. But what makes those players so attractive is that if you pick them, they go on a, on a special kind of contract that is for three years. And that contract does not count against your salary cap. Nope. And the Whitecaps, why do the Whitecaps have two picks? Because that was a pick acquired in the Maxine Pierre Poetry. 
Exactly, right? So one of the things, and if you take a look at there's a few different mock drafts out there. We all know what the Whitecaps need. They need oh. defense, right? Deep. They need defense. And one of the guys that they believe could be available at that uh, 13th pick is a guy named Hamadi Diop. He's a six-foot-tall center back. He's considerably, he's consistent in being one of the best players. I think he was ranked uh, 40th in the top 100 uh, prospects in out of all players in, in the United States. He right. is a guy that would be very, very well, especially when you think of it's a defenseman that's being ranked at that level. We're talking about uh, – Second team All Star two years in a row, um, uh, you know All Star freshman, uh, All Star for his region. I mean, the, the number of awards and the ability of what this guy has done is—he's he, got a pedigree, right? There's there's a history to what he's been able to do in college with uh, Clemson, uh, where he plays right now. And I think uh, it's one of those guys that if you're looking at uh, a center back that could potentially make the team this year cap. rather than that's going to uh, Whitecaps 2. That's the guy. Player. I mean, if the Whitecaps can snag him, you might as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think what also makes, and like I said, what makes him also really attractive is the fact that he is a Generation Adidas player. So you're getting a guy that could potentially be for your team right now. Uh, in fact, I would almost put him ahead of, uh, of Yao who the Whitecaps just picked up in the re-entry draft from Montreal. Yep, that'd be... That's a fair statement. So the entry, the Super Draft goes today, or, I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be... It'll already happen. Yeah, uh, to Pacific. Absolutely. And it should also mention that um, I don't think the Whitecaps can get him. Alistair Johnson's brother, Malcolm, is also a Super Draft prospect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think we would, that would be very, very wishful thinking. I think he'll uh, go earlier than thirteen, much yeah, earlier. You sure? Um, actually, I'm just taking a look at uh, some different mock drafts right now, and I don't see his name in the first round. Oh, interesting. Maybe oh, Malcolm Johnson. They they have him at twenty sixth. Huh. Okay. Uh, again, but it, it's not a player the Whitecaps need. He's a box-to-box midfielder. Nope. And if, right, and the Whitecaps have a decent amount of midfielders, but though they need a more defensive guy. Yeah, they need defense. The other thing they need, too, is a right back. Because right now you have Javane Brown or you have Julian Gressel that can fit back there as well. Gressel, though, is a converted winger. To, to defense, and that's why he's able to play basically the whole right side of the pitch, like all the way up to being an attacking uh, midfielder. Uh, there there are right backs that are available, but not as strong as I would say the center backs. And that's why I think the Whitecaps will look to, to flesh out their center backs before they look anywhere else. Now, the one thing, though, is that if they go with someone like Diop, it does make it interesting to figure out you've got Blackman, you've got... Uh, uh, Veselinovich. You have possibly another guy coming in that they're looking at to be a starter, whether it's uh, what's his name from National or elsewhere. But then you also have still Yao, who you just picked up, and you have Mateo Campagno, who was part of the senior squad last year, but ended up playing for Whitecaps 2, being loaned down. Yep. Are you starting to get a lot of good prospects at this at that position, but not enough starters? 
That's yeah, that's why I'm thinking. I hope that if you bring in Diop, he's a starter. Yeah, but I, if you're looking at the transfer market, I hope I think they should sign someone experienced at center back. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. I would almost but, do both because it's a under Blackman's like what the oldest center back they have, and he's only like what twenty six. I believe so. I, I think he just had a birthday too. Yeah, and. I mean, twenty six. I mean, that's in in sports terms, that's a pretty decent age. That's your prime. But maybe having someone a little bit older than that and to be like the leader of the defense. It's not saying I'm not dissing Blackman. I think he can be, but maybe someone proven. Yeah, the one thing I like about the pairing between Veselinovic and Blackman is that you got Veselinovic, who is one of the best uh, at clearances in the entire league. I think he was ranked in the top two or top three in MLS last season. And you have Blackman, who is actually, for a defenseman, is very good with his feet. Oh, yeah, the guy can move the ball. He can move the ball. He has killer pass instinct. He knows where to put that out. He did fall a little bit. He did falter a little bit, but that was also right after his injury when he was out for quite a while. It took him a bit to kind of get that confidence with his feet back again. But that is a good pairing to have back there because you got two two center backs with different profiles that complement one another. So if you're going to move some another player into there, they need to be able to figure that out as well. The one thing I will say is for as much as I do want center backs there, if I was going to spend my money to bring in um, an experienced guy, I would be spending that money at right back because all you have there basically is Javane Brown. And yeah, I'm not 100% sold on Brown yet. Me neither. And if I would spend... I, if I wanted a veteran center back, I'd probably look at the free agent market or anyone that's coming out of contract this December. Yeah. I'd also anyway, like has some height. Yeah, that too. Anyway, let's move on to the CPL. Some news here. A CPL player vote to unionize the league has been formally recognized by the CPL. Yeah, so this just happened, I believe it was yesterday. And uh, this is, again, so the... They, they had their vote, and the, the CPL commissioner, Mark Noonan, stated that they will uh, respect the outcome of the vote and the players, and they now know that any sort of bargaining they do with the players will be done with the PFA Canada. And they are now looking to do their very first collective bargaining agreement with the players. So I think that is fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you've been following a lot of the stuff with, uh, with the PFA in Canada, but they have been getting a lot of endorsement from player uh, F or uh, from PFAs throughout the world. So this was really, really big. And the interesting thing is the, the PFA Kendra president is a former white cap in Marco Cardici. Yep. Who right now plays uh, with uh, cavalry in Calgary. Yep. So at least there's, union, there's a union for the CPL. And the one thing I will say is I think having a union in the CPL is actually really, really good when you think of what's going to be coming hopefully in a couple of years in uh, a Canadian women's league. Because now that the, you have a union here, you know, it wasn't messed up by Nick Bontis. I think that makes Canada even more attractive to to have a, a women's league and to get a collective and to get them a part of, uh, you know, a, a much larger players union. Right. So... That's good to hear for the CPL and more growth for the league and will pave the way for the women league. And speaking of Canadian soccer, two the Canadian soccer young players of the year have been announced for the men. It's Ismail Kone 
And for the women, it's Simi Olajo. I think Kone is uh, absolutely no one. <laughs> easy, 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 easy choice. Yep. Uh, Simi uh, has been really, really phenomenal as well. She actually plays for the USC Trojans in uh, in the United States. She actually is American-born, but plays uh, for Canada, I think, uh, through her parents. Yeah, she's born in Atlanta. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she's uh, had a... Uh, at least one or two seasons, I think, with the USC Trojans, and has been done really, really well. Yeah, and for Canada, has done well for herself. At the only the age of nineteen. Well, you look at Kone. This time last year, he wasn't even playing. Like he wasn't even a thought in the MLS. And now he's going to play for Watford. And possibly Watford is only being used as a stepping stone to go to a team like Udinese, who plays in Syria, Syria in in Italy. Yeah, and he's a lot of growth for, for Kone and for Owajo too. Yeah, uh, again, uh, I think both are really, really good choices. I, yeah, I think it's really, really good. Uh, Owajo, uh, we should also mention, has already started to make uh, international appearances for Canada, uh, and she is going to be uh, making uh, more appearances coming up, uh, possibly, when you take a look at the really, really busy, busy schedule that the uh, that the Canadian women have coming up in 2023. Yeah, made possible. Hopeful yep. for the World Cup. Absolutely. And let's wrap it up here a little bit. So, club football is back, which is hard to believe. On <laughs> Boxing Day, Premier League is back. All the other European leagues are back. And Chelsea play Bournemouth at Stamford Bridge. So, a month off. Could probably give Graham Potter some time to think about what he has and what he wants for the transfer window and what kind of system he wants the team to play. And, I mean, I've talked about backing the guy and how he's not going to get fired even though Chelsea won't make the top four. The guy, uh, his tactics need to he needs some work. And I hope he uses this month to work on his tactics and, uh, and hopefully he can use the next... Half of the season to prove his doubters wrong. I think January is going to be very, very interesting for someone like Graham Potter because it's also going to be his first transfer window, right? Yeah, he came into a side that he didn't get any say on the players. Now, Chelsea has a fantastic roster, but it's not his. He doesn't have his stamp on it yet. And I think January is going to give him a bit more opportunity to do that. Yeah, and Chelsea always lose, seem to play terrible against Bournemouth. And uh, this... Seems like another outlier game. Um, hopefully that isn't the case. And it sucks for Wesley Fofana because he got injured like three games into his Chelsea career. And then they played that friendly. And then he got injured again. Yep. For the guy. So hopefully... Uh, Kai Havertz scored a hat-trick in that friendly against Brentford, by the way. And I want to see him score more goals. Like he did yeah. with Germany yeah, if he can transfer that into his domestic play, why not? I yeah. mean, not against Tottenham, but, you know, elsewhere. Yeah, and for Tottenham to play Brentford away, and before the World Cup, they struggled. They did. Now, they did win their final game before the World Cup against Leeds 4-3. But before that, I mean, 2 nothing against uh, Nottingham, they got beat. They lost against uh, uh, Liverpool. It was a little bit tough. Now, they have uh, played a, a friendly uh, against Motherwell in Scotland, where they did win 4 nothing during the break. They have another one today against Nice, so that should uh, kind of get a few of those players back up to speed. Brentford should be a winnable game. 
let's put it this way, it should be a winnable game. But they will be without Richarlson, who got injured during the World Cup, and Roberto Bentancourt, who, who did get injured as well. Now, Bentancourt should be healthy for the January 1st game. So that is a huge relief. But missing someone like uh, Richarlson and the phenomenal World Cup that he had, that does suck. Because he's a guy that needs to be, he needs some more consistency within the lineup for what he is able to do. Uh, Brentford, though, I mean, if you're going to start and you're going to go into what the, you know, the busyness of what January is, Brentford is a must win in my mind. You need to hit this ground running. Oh, yeah. Same with Chelsea. Bournemouth is a must win. Get the ground running. Put some confidence back to the squad and see where it goes from there. And that, but you take a look at uh, Tottenham's next five matches. Uh, they're they're basically a build up to that fifth match. You got Brentford, you got Austin Villa, you got Crystal Palace, all winnable games. You've got the FA Cup, Portsmouth, winnable game, and then you've got the North London Derby. Right, all four That's of right. those games should be building and winning to get ready for that fifth game. For Chelsea, we have Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, those two are winnable. Manchester City, tough one. Manchester City again, this time in the FA Cup. Yeah, that's a tough draw. And then Fulham. All winnable except Manchester City. But Manchester City is going to be the tough one. And the thing is, it, that's a tough draw to get in the third round of the FA Cup. And we played them in the third round of the Carabao Cup. Yeah, there you go, eh? So it's tough. I mean, just beating the teams that they should beat should be enough, but put up a fight against Manchester City and and against Liverpool on the 21st. Yeah. So, before we wrap up, this will be our last show of 2022 as we'll go on a holiday break. Uh, let's look back the year of uh, football. I mean, it's been a great year with the World Cup, Champions League. Um, a lot of bad stories like the sexual assault stuff with the Whitecaps and Include the Canada soccer debacle. Yeah. Great stories like Canada qualifying for the World Cup. Benzema winning a Ballon d'Or. The White Cup Canadian Championship. Yeah. So many good and bad. And of course the weird ones like the Mbappe Pogba witch doctor thing. Oh, right. Has it left my mind? Because that is still one of the most bizarre stories in any sport I've heard ever. Yep. I forgot about that. I don't even yeah. know if I know how to contextualize that. Yeah, me neither. Like, it's so hard to explain. Because basically, Papa hired a witch doctor to prevent him from getting injured. Only he did get injured. I guess the most so, story is don't hire witch doctors. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And we got to see the White Cats up close as media members. We talked about the Canadian Championship. We got to see them win it. On the sidelines, we were in the press box, in the Zoom conferences, and in some, pre- some training sessions. It was fun, and we learned a lot. We also have a lot of plans coming up for the for the new year and where we want to take the podcast and basically soccer in general with uh, what we do in our reporting. We will start doing the show possibly with cameras, possibly live in a few cases. We want more audience involvement, and we're also looking at bringing in some more guests. That's from the Whitecaps, journalists, maybe even fans, you never... No, I mean, it's hard to book guests for podcasts. It's a lot harder, you know? It is, it is. You gotta, you know, it's just trying to get everyone to have the same hour and a half free. Yeah, and next year, we'll be back in the press box at BC Place. 
and hopefully we'll see some more winning from the Whitecaps, and there'll be a lot of great stories to tell for sure. And it's been a great year for soccer in in this country, and hope it'll continue to grow, and hopefully we'll continue to grow the podcast and our reporting here at Air 51 Sports Network. So follow me on Twitter, Joshua91. Nathan is at Anduric. Check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. Twitter account is at Terminal City FC. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, last show of the year. Merry Christmas to all you all. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Hope you enjoyed our content we've done over the past year. We'll be back for more in 2023. For sure. Any final thoughts, Nathan? You know what? Uh, I, I think just for myself, it's been a it's been a fantastic year to uh, to get to do this and to to share our stories with you. And I'm excited to do do uh, it all over again. Yeah, well, you'll hear from us in January, where we will talk about hopefully some more Whitecaps news and some more MLS news. And uh, by the way, Montreal apparently have hired a new coach. Hey, uh, yeah, the guy who. Um, Replaces the Wilfred Nancy guy who left for Columbus. This guy's name is Hernan Lazada, and he looks like a guy who listens to crime true true crime podcasts. <laughs> but um, we'll see how what Montreal does after losing so many players. But for the Whitecaps, it's down to business, and we'll be covering all the signings they will hopefully make. You got it. So that concludes this week's episode. Once again, happy holidays, happy New Year, Merry Christmas. Hope you would have a safe time, especially since there's no one here in Vancouver. Enjoy some time with your loved ones. Club football is back next well, next Boxing Day. Actually, on Boxing Day, rather. That concludes this week's episode. Peace out. Take care.